it's just so good to do a series like this. And uh, I must admit, I, I had some hesitation about doing this series when we started going into lockdown because I kind of thought, oh, how's this all going to work and all that sort of stuff. And I, so far, I've really, really enjoyed it, even though I feel like I've done the tough ones so far. And uh, I've done all the hard ones and everybody else has done the easy one. Um, you know, like, do not steal or do not murder seem a little bit easier than this week's one. And um, so I, I, this week's one is not really at the top of my list of like, man, I'd love to preach a message about this. It's not really quite there uh, for me. And um, it's, it's this one. It's in Exodus uh, 20 verse 14, and it says, don't commit adultery. So if you're not married right now, you're probably thinking, oh, I can probably tune out today and uh, just go to one of the other churches that are online because I'm not married, so this is probably completely and totally irrelevant to me. Well, let me challenge that for a little bit for you. First thing is this, is that all the way through the Old Testament, Israel, or what is the church, was always challenged by God as being adulterous towards him. So you can take everything that I say this morning and apply that to your relationship with God, because that would be a good thing for all of us to do. And then the other thing is, is that we're saving you. You might be 16 years of age, but I'm saving you from having problems in your marriage later on. So, hey, this is like preloading your marriage so that it works. And so I don't want you to tune out. I want you to tune in. And um, it's such an interesting subject to talk on. And I realized that the minute that I said that I'm speaking on don't commit adultery this morning, that some of you may be triggered. Some of you may have experienced a whole lot of pain in and around all of this. And, and I don't want to belittle that in any way. But please hang in there. Don't switch off because I believe God wants to do something awesome for you right at the end of this. Here's the thing about adultery, though. Nobody plans to do it. Nobody wakes up in the morning, hops out of bed, puts their feet on the ground and goes, you know what? I think I might commit adultery today. Nobody plans to do it. Okay? And in fact, if you do a study of people, whether they be Christian or not Christian, studies find that 90% of people, whether they uh, are religious or not, believe that adultery is always, always wrong. And yet, according to uh, the Journal of Psychology in Christianity, studies have showed that up to 65% of men and 55% of women will commit adultery. Yeah, you can be shocked by that because I was when I read it. Like, that is just devastating news to hear. And my goal today in ensuring that is not to create any anxiety in you and any panic in you and think, my spouse is going to cheat on me and start going through their phone and checking their Facebook Messenger and all that sort of stuff. It's just that it's just really unfortunate that I've got to speak to this today. It's really unfortunate that the Bible has to speak to this. It's not a message I really want to do, but the reality is, when we look at, look at statistics, the reality is, is that a lot of people do commit adultery. A lot of people actually do it. And so the way that I'm going to help you today is kind of like a, a three-part kind of message where 
The first part of it is I'm going to tell you how to commit adultery. That's the bad advice part. So hopefully in understanding how to commit adultery, when I tell you how not to, that the bad advice is going to be so outweighed by the good advice that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be highlighted for you and it's going to keep you safe. And so, as I said just before, people never, ever intend to do this, and yet they do. And something happens somewhere along the way where one day they wake up and they have ended up somewhere they never intended ending up. Somehow, some way, they crossed all these lines that they thought they'd never ever cross and they've woken up in a whole lot of trouble in a place that they never hoped to be. So let me give you some really, really bad advice first. Let me give you three easy steps to commit adultery. Are you with me today? Great. The first thing, if you want to commit adultery, first thing you should do, neglect your marriage. Just neglect it. What does it mean to neglect your marriage? It's really, really simple. It's about finding something else to give your best to. If you want to neglect your marriage, just find something else to give your best to. Something else to give your best to. And it can be anything at all. It could be your sport. It could be your career. It could be your job. It could be your hobby. Or it could be even your kids. Some of us just completely and totally obsess about our children at the cost of our marriage. Whatever you do, if you want to have an affair, neglect your marriage. Take your spouse for granted. Don't talk to them. Don't have any emotional intimacy with them. Don't share your feelings with them. Don't open up with them. Don't have any physical intimacy with them. And if you have to have physical intimacy with them, make it really, really boring. Just be a dud in a bedroom and neglect your marriage and you're well on track to having an affair. It's really, really simple. If you want to commit adultery, just find something else to give your best to. The second thing that you want to do after neglecting your marriage is you want to enjoy common interests and form an emotional bond with somebody else. Not with your spouse, with somebody else. Find someone who's interesting or attractive and do a whole lot of things with them. Do all sorts of stuff with them. Just spend time with them And while you're spending time with him, tell yourself these things. Well, he just understands me. She likes my jokes. My spouse doesn't get me in the way that they get me. Bond with them emotionally, which is so easy for you to do, because after all, you've been neglecting your marriage, and you have emotional needs that need to be met. And so here we are, right? And and this person's starting to meet these emotional needs, And so, you know, you're well on your way. And now what you want to do is whatever you do, don't tell your spouse about it. Hide it from them. And then start to anticipate the time that you get to have with this person. Like, you know where they have their coffee. And so you make sure that you get there at the same time. And you get excited about it. And you you flirt a little bit. and, And ladies, you do that thing with your hair or whatever that is. And And guys, you flirt, not that any of us know how to do that. You know, text them after work, uh, direct message them. It's all really, really fun. I know this sounds really, really gross about right now. Remember, this is bad advice. So you want to neglect your marriage, enjoy common interests, form an emotional bond. Those are the first two things you want to do if you want to have have an affair, if you want to commit adultery. The third thing is make excuses and rationalize your actions. In other words, blame your spouse. Blame them. Well, 
if they were meeting my needs, if she would pay the attention to me that I require, just blame your spouse and then tell yourself, well, God wants me to be happy no matter what, right? God wants me to be happy. And so just tell yourself this is harmless, it's just playful, it's just flirting, it's not a big deal. And when you get really close to committing adultery, then tell yourself, well, maybe this is meant to be. Maybe this is what God really intended for me. Can I, can I just tell you this, that people that ha- commit adultery and leave their partners and then end up um, you know, getting married to the person that they're having the affair with, only 3%, only 3% of people that have affairs end up marrying the person they have an affair with, and of those marriages, 75% of them end in divorce. So guess what? It doesn't work. And here's the thing, everything I just gave you just now is really, really bad advice. None of us plan to betray the one that we promised in front of God to do life with. None of us plan that, yet it happens. People do it all the time. Why? Because they're living the bad advice that I just gave you. They're doing all those things. They're neglecting their marriage. They're forming emotional bonds with someone who's not their spouse. And they're making excuses for their behavior. It's really that simple. So if that's what you've got to do to commit adultery, what do you do to avoid committing adultery. Glad you asked. (laughs) I think this is a really important part of the message. Do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risk. Do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risk. Here's the thing that I find so interesting about this sin, about sexual immorality. Of all the other sins, in the Bible, it's, the Bible quite often tells us to fight it, to resist it, to stand against it, to, to hold in there, stand your ground, hold firm, push through. Of all the other sins in the Bible, it's usually the advice that the Bible gives us is to hold your ground, stand, don't back down. It's set for when it comes to this one. When it comes to this kind of sin, the Bible doesn't say resist it. It doesn't say stand your ground. It says flee. It says run. Don't even try to fight it. Don't even try to resist it. Just get your butt the heck out of there. You want to get as far away from it as you can. Run as fast as you can. Don't stand around and try and fight it. Don't resist it. But get out of there as fast as possible. Flee from it. It's the one sin where the Bible says you need to run away from this. Listen to what Proverbs 5, 8 says this. Keep to a path from her. In other words, this, this piece of scripture in Proverbs is a father talking to his son, telling him to beware of the woman that's trying to seduce him. He says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. What was he saying here? Get as far away as you can. Don't try to resist it. Don't, try, don't, don't go near the house. Don't go near the door. Get as far away as you can. Because what happens if you don't is you end up crossing a line after a line after a line 
and you think, well, I know I've crossed some lines, but I haven't committed adultery yet because adultery is over there. That's the line way over there. And I haven't got there yet. I haven't got there yet. Can, can I suggest to you that the line of sin starts before we commit an action? That sin starts before we commit an action? That it actually starts in our minds and it actually starts in our hearts even before we do something? Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 28. He said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, it starts in the heart. It starts in the eyes, looks at them lustfully, and the mind well before you ever act on it. It's about what's in your heart. The line of sin or the line of adultery isn't over there. The line of adultery is right here. It's you. It's in you. It starts in your heart. It starts by what you look at. And it starts in your mind way before the act takes place. So if you're unsure whether you're heading down the road that you shouldn't be heading down, let me ask you a question. If your spouse saw everything you said and everything that you did all day long, would they be blessed by your interactions or would they be hurt? If your spouse could watch everything you said and everything you did all day long, would they be blessed by your interactions or would they be hurt by them? Now, if you're single, you're like, cool, I'm let off today because I'm not married, so I don't have that problem. Well, let me ask you this question if you're sing single. If your future spouse saw the way that you interacted today, would your future spouse be blessed and pleased to marry you? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. But here's a few thoughts that I hope will help you to radically reduce the risk that you will commit adultery. Here's the first one, just some quick bullet points. Keep growing your relationship with Christ. Keep growing your relationship with Christ, not just individually, but as a couple. Grow spiritually together. Make sure you're reading your word Make sure you're praying together. Make sure that whatever pathway you're on spiritually, that you're on it together. Don't, don't just take off and leave the other person behind. Let's make sure that we're growing in a relationship with Christ together. The next thing is never be alone with the wrong people. Remember, Proverbs says, keep far away from your path. Just don't be alone, uh, don't be alone with the wrong people. Stay clearly away from them. Never talk bad about your spouse. Never talk bad about your spouse to other people. Why? Because your spouse will often become what you say about them. They'll often become the very thing that you say about them. Don't speak about all their bad qualities. Speak about all their great qualities. Surround yourself with strong marriages. Why? Because you become like who you hang around and avoid all inappropriate places and situations. Just don't go anywhere you might be tempted. You know, before I was pastoring, I, I was a general manager for a, 
for a, a German diesel engine company in New Zealand with a whole lot of clients. And every year, we would um, take some of our clients away, be it to the, the Formula One in Melbourne or something like that, we would do that. And every single time I'd have to take these clients away, every single time the guys would want to go to the strip club or something. And the amount of times that I left them there, or I tried to talk them out of it to start with, but I would leave them there and I would walk like an hour or an hour and a half to get back to the hotel room. I just wasn't going to go in there or I'd catch a taxi. I'd just leave them to it. I, I just wasn't going to go anywhere near it. In fact, I wouldn't even go there. If we were at the, the racetrack and they're going, oh, that's where we're going, I would leave from the racetrack to the hotel. I wouldn't go and drop them off there. I'd say, I mean, you're on your own. I just wouldn't even go anywhere near it. Don't go near places that are inappropriate or situations. You've you got to do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risk. The next thing you've got to do is invest passionately in your marriage. Invest passionately in your marriage. Proverbs 5, 18 to 20 says this, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? In other words, he's saying this, hey, if the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. If the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. He says this, be intoxicated with the love of your spouse. The Hebrew word for intoxicated is the word shaka. But it's got to be said with a bit of attitude. It's not like shaka. It's like shaka. It's like Shaka! Everyone say with me, even though I can't hear you because you're online. Everyone go, shaka! It's like, whoo! It's got something to it. It's a, it. It comes with an attitude. Do you know what the word shaka means or the word intoxicated here means? It means to be ravished, to be captivated, to be enraptured, to be consumed. It, it, it's, like, it's like a picture of a bigger animal devouring the smaller animal. That, that's kind of what it's talking about. It's just like you just complete, ah, oh, it's a shaka kind of love. It's like, oh, you know, you're just like, oh, enraptured, encaptured, all-consuming. That's the kind of thing that it's saying that you should have. Don't have that for someone else's wife. Have that for your own wife. And I can tell you after 27 years of marriage to my best friend, there's more shaka today than there was shaka when we got married. I'm telling you, it just gets better, and it just gets better, and it just gets better if you're intoxicated with your love for your spouse. Third thing you want to do is constantly invest in your marriage. Constantly invest in your marriage. I, I've shared this before, but I share it again. I sat beside a Fortune 500 company owner uh, a long time ago when I was on a plane, and I thought, here's an opportunity, this guy's worth millions of dollars, to get some advice. And I said to him, what's the best piece of advice that you could ever give me? And he looked at me straight in the eyes, and I'm waiting for, like, invest in Apple or invest in BP or whatever, you know, like some brilliant piece of financial advice. 
And he, and he looked straight me in the eyes and he said this to me. He said, Craig, invest in your wife because if you lose her, you lose half your assets. Now, it's a little bit, <laughs> wow, that's a nice way to look at investing in your wife. But let, let, let's just forget about the assets part and just go, you know what the best thing you could ever do is invest in your husband, invest in your marriage, invest in your wife. It's the best thing that you could ever do. So what do you want to do if you're going to invest in your marriage? Guard your alone time. Make sure you get time alone. I know some couples that go for date nights every week. Trin and I have never ever really done that. We kind of go out for dates once a month because you can go out for a date every week for a coffee, but I'd rather go out for a date once a month to a really flash uh, restaurant and maybe go to the movies. Or do, If I'm going to go out on a date, I want to go out on a date. Can I, can I get an amen in there? Like, coffee is what I do with friends. Um, dates are what I do with my wife. Do you know, you, you're catching me? And we, we invest hugely every year on our anniversary. We spend at least 24 hours, just the two of us, no kids, uh, you know, like, well, I've got little kids, and yep, well, we need to find you some babysitters. We need to find someone who can look after them, because you need to guard your alone time. When our kids were little, we used to get them into bed, and we guarded that time once they were in bed. That was our alone time. You've got to guard your alone time, because you need time alone to give a guard. Your alone time, second thing, get spiritual again. I want to tell you the best thing that Trini and I have ever done and have always done, except for a period of time where we didn't, we pray together every single day. Now, I know as soon as you start talking about prayer, everyone, for some reason, because of the way the church has taught things, we think 60 minutes or an hour. If you don't pray for an hour, then you're not godly and you're going to hell or something. We don't pray for an hour. We pray for about 10 minutes together every day, or we pray sporadically through the day at moments and at times. We just pray together over all sorts of stuff. I want to tell you, you should be praying with your spouse every single day. It doesn't matter how long it is, just pray together. And guys, just get over yourself. Stop being so embarrassed to pray in front of your wife. She's seen you naked, so just pray in front of her, right? Are you hearing me? That's good. Um, pray together. Talk about God together. Talk about what God is doing together. Talk about what you feel God is saying to you as you read your Bible. Like, grow together spiritually. So guard your alone time. Get alone. Get spiritual. And the third thing, get naked. Can I say that on a Sunday morning? Do your kids need to leave the room right now? Like, at least twice a week. I know. I'm deadly serious. You need to be as intentional about your physical intimacy as you are about raising your kids, as you are about your financial management, as you are about anything else. You get alone, get spiritual, and get naked. And if you have something, if you've had something special at one time, I want to tell you, and it's, and it's gone missing, you can have it again. Usually the reason why we lose some of that special stuff that we once had is because we stopped doing what we once did to have it. And I want to tell you, start doing those things again that brought that special time or that special moment. Start doing again once you want what you once did. Start doing that again. Do whatever it takes to invest passionately into your marriage 
And the fourth thing that'll keep you from committing adultery is visualize the potential destruction if I do stray. Think about it. Think about the destruction that would happen if you chose to betray your spouse and commit adultery. Proverbs 5, 3 to 5 says this, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Where does his or her steps lead to? Straight to the grave. You, you need to stop and visualize the destruction. You need to stop and imagine what it's going to be like to sit down and have that conversation with your children, with your kids, the disappointment on their faces. You need to think about the destruction. Let me tell you what would happen if I did something like that. First of all, I'd be betraying the name of my Savior who gave his life for me, and I would crush and hurt every single one of you that I'm the pastor of because you believe that I honor God and that I love you. And if I did that, it would devastate you. It would hurt you. And I tell you what, those bits are the easy bits because it's more difficult when I have to stand before God and give an account after all he has trusted me with. And that's what I've done with it. I'd have to look into the eyes of the woman that has given me two kids that has been more faithful to me than I ever could imagine. I, I, I just can't even imagine what that conversation would be like. 27 years would be thrown down the toilet for a moment of selfishness. It's just not worth it. The destruction is not worth it. Visualize the destruction because Satan is on the prowl and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to God. And marriages really matter to God. And I know, I'm well aware that there are some people listening in today, or a lot of people listening in today, that have been hurt significantly because of this kind of sin. And I want you to know that those of you that have been betrayed by this, that it breaks the heart of God and that it breaks my heart that you've had to go through that. And there are those listening today that have betrayed a spouse and you're wanting to heal from this and you're wanting to grow from this. And I want to encourage you as much as God's heart is for those that have been betrayed the grace of God is very real for those that have done the betraying. That God's grace is there for you. There's no condemnation now for those that are in Christ Jesus. You are not judged. You are not pushed away. That if there is deep and true repentance, there is absolute and complete healing for you. The Bible promises it. The arms of God are wide open. And if you will come back to him, he will embrace you. And here's the thing that I kind of want to end on this morning for you all is that 
there's some really, really good news because I've talked about a whole lot of hard stuff and I've talked about a whole lot of things that could be really very, very painful for you. But here's the good news, that even when we're unfaithful, God is always faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, God will remain faithful. And here's the reality. Every single one of us have been unfaithful to our Savior at some point in our lives. And he's always been faithful to us, to forgive us, to always be faithful to us and set us free. Whatever our spiritual enemy has done to try to destroy, God can rebuild. Our God can heal. Our God can forgive. Our God can make things new, even when we are unfaithful. Our God is faithful. So if you are hurt in any way by this, you are absolutely correct to know that adultery is a biblical grounds for divorce all day long. It's absolutely the biblical ground for divorce. But can I say this, that adultery is also the biblical ground for forgiveness. Our God can take what the enemy meant for evil and destroy, and God can make it better, and you, God, can do that. That yes, adultery is grounds for divorce biblically, but it's also the grounds for forgiveness. It's also the grounds for God to restore, to rebuild, to do all those things. And if you have committed adultery, I want to tell you just three last things before we finish today. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. No sin is too big for the grace of God. The other thing you need to realize is you are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. You have not what you have done, but you are who God says you are. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. You are not what you did. You are who you are in Christ. I want to tell you, if you get back into Him, you'll be all the things that God says you are. You have not your past. You are the future that God has for you because you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. You can't change what's happened but God can change your future. Philippians 3, 12 to 15 says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I'll focus on one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead, I will press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You can't change your past, but God can change your future.
God forgive you for any sin that you've ever committed. Don't write your life off because of a moment of insanity when God can forgive you for it. And if you're the one that's been betrayed, God's intention for you is that you would never ever live a life of pain, but His intention is to heal you. His intention is to restore you. His intention is to rebuild you. And if